All right, guys. Um, well, I think we should make a start if that's all right. So, um, I'm Pete. Um, I live down in sunny Torquay. Um, this is my wife, Esther. Here to help me in the front row. So, um, <laughs> the, the comment that Esther wanted me to start with was I do keep getting asked, have I de dyeing my hair? Because um, yes, in, Torquay, in Torquay, the sun is always shining. <laughs> so, no, this is just the sunshine of Torquay, and I'm just grateful I still have hair. <laughs> to be honest. So, my dad had lost all his hair at 21. And so I'm doing all right at 35. So, um, yeah, we, we lead a church down in Torquay called Together Church. Um, we've been down there about four years. We moved from Life Church Southampton, um, where we were part of the team there, uh, with Chris Kilby, who some of you will know. Um, and I thought a bit, I thought a fair bit about this seminar. Um, and I just, I, gospel, I was given the, the topic, okay, gospel contextualization. Um, and I, I kind of I started by reading Tim Keller's Centre Church because that's the best place to go. And then I kind of felt like you can read that if you want to read that, and he does a much better job. And you can even watch a like forty-minute lecture on YouTube, and he's outstanding. So I, I kind of felt like I want to speak to your guys, you guys, in terms of sharing heart today. So I kind of I, it's, it's, it is gospel contextualization, uh, but I want to speak through the Word of God. I, I hope it, it, it's kind of it's really what I've been living with, what we've been living with in Torquay. We've been there, as I say, approaching four years. We're like, how do we reach this town for Jesus? And it's really what's been birthed in our hearts through the Scriptures. So I hope that's okay. That's where we're going. Um, let me just pray, we? and uh, we'll begin. Yeah, Father, we. Um, we just thank you for the privilege of being here, Lord. What a what a privilege it is to just be at this uh, this conference, Lord. What a privilege it is to be part of a family of churches. What it what a privilege it is, as, as Tim reminded us this morning, to look back on the history and the heritage of this movement of churches. And you have been with us, and Father, we thank you for that, Lord. And and Father, we, we just ask now in this moment, your gospel is unchanging, Lord. But actually, we are in a constantly changing landscape, in a constantly changing world. And so, Father, we just ask you would stir our hearts now. Lord, we, we, we want to hold tightly to the gospel truth that we heard of this morning. And yet, Father, we want to be really flexible with everything else. Lord, we want to be all things to reach all people. And so, Father, we just ask, would you come and stir our hearts? Lord Jesus, I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you just come and equip me now, Father God? And we just ask, speak to each one of us. Lord, we, we long to see you move in our nation in new ways. Lord, we long to see you move in power. We long mm. to see gospel fruit. Lord, we, we, we long to see our churches filled to the brim with non-believers that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. Lord, I think all of our hearts, we long for more. I've just been on the, the evangelism seminar. Lord, we long for more. We long to see you move in power. Lord, and so we just ask, stir our hearts today. We ask that in your name, Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. 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 So, um, the 14th of March, 2020, uh, it was a Saturday evening. I remember it extremely well. Um, it was about seven o'clock in the evening. We just had the local Anglican vicar and his family for tea, and we just um, they just said goodbye. And I realised we had a guest speaker speaking in the morning on quite a niche topic, and there was all this kind of fear and anxiety and this strange virus that we'd all been kind of talking about, and we were wondering whether that was going to put people off coming to church the next day. Now in that moment, it just felt the right decision to phone up this guest speaker, cancel, cancel him. And I wrote that night a message entitled, A Together Church Response to the COVID-19 Virus. Now little did I, or anyone else know, I think, that that was going to be the last chance I got to speak into the life of our church for face-to-face in that gathered context for about a year. Actually, that was a, a unique moment. And I, I guess 
Guys, that was a pretty big deal, wasn't it? Like the pandemic was a big deal. And I, I was, I, I was I'm, I say I'm 35, yeah, but when I've spoken to people older than me, and I've tried to read up, has there been uh, kind of instances in the last hundred years, say, where the doors of the churches have been shut in that way? I know we had online church, but where the doors of the churches had been shut and there was such colossal change. And I don't think there was. I, I believe the churches were open in World War One. I. I believe the churches were open in World War Two. Now, many of us, I'm sure most of your churches, we went online, um, and then we could meet in small groups. Um, and we, we, like lots of churches, we, we try in all different creative ways. We think, God, what are you doing in this moment? Like, how can we gather in homes again? Perhaps there's something around in, in which we were able to worship in our homes with our kids again. We really felt this kind of bit, a bit of a burden to restore the altar of worship in our homes. Actually, as a, a leader of a church, it was this unique moment where actually on a Sunday I could really engage with our kids around the scriptures and around prayer and around worship. And then we just began, we, I don't even remember that stage where you were able to meet in small groups and you were able to meet with another family. Perhaps you were praying and studying the Bible in a smaller context. And the phrase that we've kind of batted around a lot, you've probably heard a lot, is that God set kind of a giant reset button for the Western church. And to be honest, like we've lived with that since that moment. Okay, There, there seems to be sort of a shift where we're going, there's not such an emphasis on perhaps platforms and personalities, but on people and the presence of God. There's perhaps not such an emphasis, because there couldn't be, on just our Sunday one gathered moment, but there's an emphasis on how does discipleship look throughout the entire week. But we as a church really had a deep conviction that throughout COVID, we mustn't just go back to what we were doing before. We had this conviction that actually God was doing something new. Um, we felt kind of this convinced that we didn't want to fall into either of these things, dead orthodoxy or cold orthodoxy. Now, these are um, defined by a cultural commentator, Mark Sayers. Dead orthodoxy is this. When true biblical faith is affirmed with our words and thoughts, but our hearts remain stagnant and unchanged. Doctrine is biblical, but the spiritual life of the church or the believer is dead. Now, hopefully, I, if I, I didn't, hopefully we're not in danger of dead orthodoxy. Okay? But cold orthodoxy, this one really got to me and still does get to me. It says this. Correct biblical faith and doctrine are held. However, a church caught in cold orthodoxy works from the memory of a past move of God. Little vitality exists in the daily spiritual life of the church. Um, in lockdown, I have a confession, I hadn't read it before lockdown. But in lockdown, you suddenly did some things you hadn't done before, potentially. Yeah? So in lockdown, I read Terry Virgo's book, No World Worn Pass. Yeah, so there's no, I won't make you put your hands up, there's no confession if you haven't read it. But I hadn't got around to reading it until lockdown. And it struck me that at the start of New Frontiers, Terry was absolutely crazy. Like overnight, you, 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 if you read through his book, there's this moment where he feels cool. He's got a hand in his notice and quit his job. And he starts dawning. And he starts going door to door, telling the people about Jesus. And I was chatting to one of his sons, Ben, and he was telling me that when Terry first did that, he felt like he would never get married, because who's going to want to marry this crazy guy that hasn't got an income, that's door to door knocking? He felt like he'd just committed career suicide. He had risked everything for the gospel. And it kind of just got into my heart where I was going, am I in danger of a cold orthodoxy where I'm living on the faith and adventure of a past generation 
but I'm not prepared to risk that. Because it, it contrasted sharply, and, and I'll be honest, and I might be a bit pointed at times, it contrasted quite sharply with my generation, third generation New Frontiers, who I know people who will go, well, I feel called cool to that, but unless they can find me a 30k a year salary, I'm not going. And I went, there's just, there's just been this tension in me, and it's not, it's just something not, like, where's that hunger? It's like, if I'm called cool to that, I'm going, and God's going to provide. God's going to lead me through. And so I just felt challenged, and we as a, a church felt challenged, that we are called to serve his church, his glorious bride, and are we living off the energy and the passion of generations past? You know, if you are, uh, all of you are leaders in this room, and you serve the church, and you, you do that out of a love for his church and out of a love for Jesus Christ. Like, I, I am deeply convinced, I love the church of Jesus Christ, don't you? And, and that Jesus is going to one day come back for his church, his bride, and it's going to be without stain or wrinkle or blemish, and he died for his church. And he says in Ephesians 3 that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed for a local church. That we must be a people that just have such a heart and a desire for Jesus and his church that actually we are willing to risk everything to see churches flourish and the gospel spread and the name of Jesus lifted high. See, we as a church, we didn't want dead orthodoxy, we don't want cold orthodoxy, and I'm sure the same for your church, you want red-hot orthodoxy. Red-hot orthodoxy. It's still orthodoxy, where, where vibrant truth is believed and enacted upon. Where the majority of our congregation have vibrant spiritual lives, not just the ones and twos. I guess the challenge is it starts with us as leaders, doesn't it? In this room, it starts with us as leaders of churches and ministries. If you want your church, if you want your ministry, if you to be red hot for Jesus, it starts with you having a red hot orthodoxy, a life of faith and a life of risk for, for the love of Jesus and for the love of his church. Because if I'm honest, I, I, I noticed in me this thing of comparison. Yeah, so, so I'm in Torbay, there's a context where there's not hundreds of churches, there's about 130,000 people in the town. It's not as, it's not as, I love to obey, okay, like, but it's not kind of as, there's no university, it's not as prestigious as maybe a place like Bournemouth. And so I kind of started looking at things going, do you know what, we can kind of grow as a church just by putting on good coffee, and I can probably speak, I'm not great, but I'm probably more articulate than that picker down the road, and we can grow 5% through transfer growth every year. And, and like, and, and you can, and you're relatively successful as a church. I see what that stinks. And it just got my heart. I'm going, this isn't red hot orthodoxy. This is just stagnant, cold, living. I don't know what I'm living for. So this is the journey we've been on throughout lockdown. I started being discontented with just growing slowly through transfer growth through other disgruntled Christians in a different church. There must be more, mustn't there? That's, that's why I found this. There's got to be more than this. I, I've gotta, I didn't give up my secular job for this. I gave it up because I love his church and I love the gospel. And I want to see people encounter Jesus. And I'd rather one person encounter Jesus than 20 people join us for transfer growth. And that's really, like, that's genuinely what I mean. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. So New Frontiers started with a red hot orphan. And whenever you see a great movie of God, like the moment I'm studying revival in the 1700s, we've been given an assignment of, thanks to Mr. Blaber, a 5,000 word assignment on revival in the 1700s. What were the causes of revival? And actually, there's, there's this red hot orthodoxy. Like, when you look at your Whitfields and your Wesleys, yes, they went out and preached in the fields and they were 
but there was there was something they, they, they preached the gospel, they held firmly to the gospel, but the model constantly changed. They were willing to risk everything to reach people with the gospel. Now the passage that we prophetically live with as a church through lockdown was Isaiah forty three, verse eighteen to nineteen. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You see, I I love this passage because we as a people always have a tendency to look back. Now, looking back can be good. As we heard this morning, when you're looking back and honouring and remembering and building on the things of the past is a good thing. And yet God's people have always been a people on the move. And there's always been a temptation to go, God, would you do it like you did it before? Would you do it like in this context, Isaiah is writing prophetically to a people that are going to be in exile in Babylon. And they're looking back and going, the way you got us out of Egypt, God, would you do that again? You know, the plagues, and that was pretty powerful. And then we crossed the Red Sea, and there was Moses and Aaron, and and it was amazing. Then we went in the wilderness, and there was water from the rock, and there was manna, and there was quail. And and it was amazing. And God says, it's not that it's a bad thing. The past was a good thing, but God says, no, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? It was good, but God was doing a new thing. Now, you might be saying, well, what's all this got to do with gospel contextualization? I would say everything, guys, because my challenge for you today is that the gospel is unchanging, but the wineskins and models and language he used to communicate the gospel must be constantly changing. We must hold the gospel so tightly, but everything else we must hold so lightly. Gospel contextualization is that very thing. It's the fact that we hold on to the gospel, but the ways and the forms we use to communicate it change in different seasons, in different places, and in different contexts. We don't hold too tightly to our own liturgies, and our own buildings, and our own professionalism, or our own notices, or our own way of doing things. We're willing to let those change. So we felt this sort of prophetic clarion call of God saying, I am doing a new thing. The question is, are you willing to let your preferences or your style or your practices change, but hold even tighter than ever to the gospel? I want to open up Acts for a moment. So we're in Acts 11 for the rest of our time. Um, we're in verse 19. Let me read it. Says this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out, and um, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in, in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Let me just pull out, okay, from here. New places, new people, and new fruit. New places, new people, new fruit. So, new places, first of all. I, I, I love this passage because I think we tend to look back at the early church with slightly rose-tinted Lenses, don't we? We we love we love reading Acts. I love reading Acts. We we went spent half of lockdown reading through the Book of Acts, 
But I think there's this natural thing for us to always drift back to where we feel most comfortable. And even in the early church, the reality is they stayed in Jerusalem until persecution came. So the Great Commission was to go, you know, Matthew 20, go into all the earth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where just before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he says this, but you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But it's not until the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, probably three years later, but certainly some time passes and persecution breaks out, that actually then they begin to scatter. Then they begin to move on from <coughs> Jerusalem. Actually, naturally, the disciples, would, and they were doing a good thing. The, the Jerusalem church was flourishing. It was healthy. It was strong. And yet they weren't quite fulfilling the commission God gave them. They only went when they had to. When suddenly persecution broke out, boom, they're scattered. And suddenly God starts doing something through the gospel. The spreading of the word. Now they spread far and wide. So we need Phoenicia, it's modern day Lebanon, Cyprus, okay, Antioch, that's now modern day Turkey. My challenge for us is this when world events happen, like COVID 19 crisis, like the death of Queen Elizabeth II, like the fact that we are facing a huge economic crisis currently and cost of living crisis, do we see those as frustrating? Do we see those as actually? messing with our programs, or actually do we see them as a God-given opportunity to reach new people in new places with new methods? For us as a, as a church, like we are living with this, okay? I would love to, I, 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 when I was asked to do this, I'm sure you got someone better to do this, because we are living through change. So we've, we have been trying to live through and outwork, how do we contextualize the gospel to actually reach our people? How do we get rid of models that are not helpful for where we are, which will be different to where you are, and I really like what I really want to do. And my wife really pulled me up on this. Is I really don't want to share anything about what's going on down in Turkey because we're quite hidden down in Devon. So I can get on with building church and get on with really trying to reach people for Jesus. And then when it's really successful, come and tell you about it in five years' time. That's what I want to do. So when when you get asked to do it in the middle of the journey, it's uncomfortable because we have changed things in our model, and it's still messy and it's hard. And there's some really good things and there's some really challenging. Things. That's, that's where we are in the middle of this journey. But we felt like, actually, this, this, this world event, where for probably the first time in 100 years, I don't know how long, churches shut for like a year, and then you think, are we just going to reopen and just go back to everything we did before? Which, we're, if we're really honest, was like a few people getting saved on Alpha, and lots of transfer growth, and it was all right. And there was lots of good things. I mean, there was amazing things in the past. That's my context, okay? Your context might have been buzzing before, but that's where I was. It was like, there was good, but it's like, surely, God, there's more. Surely this is an opportunity to seek you and pray and question and wonder, is there any fat in, in us? Is there anywhere where we've got dead orthodoxy or cold orthodoxy or liturgies or things we hold on tight to that you're calling us to actually let go of while holding incredibly tightly to the gospel? So... Um, for us as a church, one of the major things that happened is um, we've been on this journey of getting a new building. So we met in a, in a, in a nice school, um, which was a nice secondary school, nice driveway, brilliant parking, huge building. We slightly rattled around in there, but it was like lovely, okay? No community. We didn't know the neighbourhood. The school didn't like us there. We were a bit of an embarrassment. They wouldn't let us put a banner out the front because that, that might put people off coming into their sports programme. Very secular school. Not that keen on a church, but historically it had met there for a while. 
God gave us a building, so we bought a building that's about four and a half thousand square feet. That's a miracle story in itself. We bought it for thirty thousand pounds outright with no mortgage, from just incredible failure with the council. That was an adventure. Like we had a gift day, we didn't have any big givers. Suddenly we got thirty thousand pounds in one day. That's an, that was an amazing story. But God gave us a building. We got the keys for the building in the second week of lockdown. Now in my head, okay, I've come from Life Church. Life Church had done like a multi-site model, where we had like the kind of main church. And then we planted two smaller congregations. And in my head, we've gone, the school's going to grow over time. And then we're going to, this is the first of one of those small congregations. And at the moment, it's going to be a bit of community building. And then throughout lockdown, it just became abundantly clear that God was calling us to never go back to that school. And actually, he had given us a building in one of the most deprived wards in Torbay, in an area called Upton, slap in the middle of a community, right next to a secondary school, with a, uh, with a primary school, with amazing local links, with amazing favour. The way we got the building was with community favour. And God just so clearly led us to go, just throw your lot in on this building. The money you're spending, which was a grand plus a month on that rental, spend it on staff, just give everything into the building, into this area. Just start in this area. Now, if I'm honest, but for what had gone on in the world, I don't think we would have been at that because I was stuck in going, I'm going to do what we saw work. And Chris is an amazing leader, and I'm going to copy what Chris did, and maybe that will work in Torbay. And then what happened in lockdown is God actually began to speak to us, and speak to our church, and give us vision for our context and what he was doing with us. What was going on in Southampton, amazing. But it wasn't what God was doing in us locally in Torquay. So, just to throw it out there, are you called to reach new places? We'll share a few stories. Like We are definitely seeing local people encounter truth. And, and it's through being prepared to risk in a new place. We now have this, this hall that fits about 100 people at a push, and it's often excessively full, and it's often quite messy, and there's no parking, and it's, it's hard. It's quite hard, but it's like it's, God is in the middle of it, and we really can see that. So where are you being called to reach? Where in your town? Where in your neighborhood? Where are the places that you are not touching at all with the gospel? New places. Secondly, they're new people. New people. Sorry, I'm, I'm not a very good PowerPoint person, as you, might, as you might tell. It's the bare bones PowerPoint. So, new people. So, this is definitely a cast your nets on the other side sort of moment for the early church. Okay? It's, it's, so, we read in verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, all, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. I love this because you, who are these guys? Men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Um, these aren't the apostles, these aren't the big shots, because they have to send Barnabas to go and check on who these guys are. Okay? The scenario is, these are guys in the church that, that then go out, because the persecution comes, the apostles stay, but the rest of the church scatters, they start going and they start just telling people about Jesus. And suddenly there's a church springing up in Antioch, and guess what, this church looks different. Because Antioch is this huge cosmopolitan city. Antioch is about ten times the size of Jerusalem. Where they've just all been nicely in Jerusalem, suddenly they're flung to Antioch, it's mixed, and suddenly there's actually both Jew and Greek. There's pagan Greeks in this church as well. We know that because when you read on in Acts, and the church in Antioch is really the, the first multicultural church. And it starts where these unknown guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, they, they, they just go off. They start telling people about Jesus. They start telling different people about Jesus. They start reaching new people. Now, for us, our, our new people, and your new people will be different. I don't know, it could be different race, different different area, different. For us, our new people is the vast majority of Torbay are incredibly, it's a working class area. And we were a middle class little pocket on the edge of nowhere. 
And God just began to break my heart to go, there are thousands of people here not being served by churches. There's, there's actually some fantastic churches serving the middle class, but there is very, very few that are reaching these areas. And God began to challenge us and go, are we really going to try and get into these areas? And so that's where we have landed. And it, to reach those areas, you need new people. You need, need new leaders. It's, it, it's been a journey where we've begun to see different leaders step up in ways that, that like, I just can't. Okay? I'm, I'm still pretty, I'm white British and quite boring. Okay? So we've begun to see just interesting characters come. So one of my, um, one of just the biggest joys that's happened in the last couple of years is we've seen one guy who was in a really sticky point in life, just facing addiction and hardship and not in a good place. Um, we've now seen him, just two weeks ago on Sunday, he preached for the first time. Now, I'll show a little bit. Preach for us is like 15 minutes in the morning. We do an evening service, but I'll come back to that. He preached the first time, and he was outstanding, wasn't he? He just spoke truth. He spoke about truth and lies, okay? Incredibly simple. He did like a, 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 got a, a, a poster up on the wall with a man on and wrote, Child of God. And then he got everyone to write on balloons, like all the lies they believe, covered the, the truth with the lies. And then he, and then he popped, the, popped the balloons. A few issues with that, but there you go. <laughs> Incredibly powerful moment, and it was such a simple message. I, I got a bit frustrated a number of times, people were like, that was like the best Sunday we've ever had, that was amazing. It was the first time he's ever spoken, like, and two years ago, this guy was a mess. And yet he was able to reach people in a way that I will not be able to reach people. And we must raise local leaders. We must raise leaders that actually represent the demographics we're trying to reach. Like, and for you, that will look different. But, but you must be thinking, who are we raising in those places? Uh, one of my favorite passages in the scriptures is Acts 4.13. Okay, it's comforting to me. It says this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Unschooled, ordinary men, and they took note that these guys had been with Jesus. Like, I wholeheartedly believe in training. I wholeheartedly believe in equipping our leaders. Actually, the guy that I just spoke of is now just signed up for Theology for Life Level 1 training. Actually, I've spent half my life, it feels like, doing New Frontiers training. I wholeheartedly believe in that, but can I speak to you guys who are leaders in this room? Unless you know what spending time with Jesus looks like, you will constantly do copycat ministry. Actually, we must learn, and I think particularly as third generation New Frontiers, we must learn the secret place. And I don't mean like just have your devotions on. I think we must grind out intimacy. We must learn what it looks like to look, go and hide in the cave, go and seek God, go and cry, go and cry for our people. Actually, to fast and pray and weep and hear God speak to us from the scriptures and be convicted and be challenged. We must be men and women like that. We must be men and women where it burns within us. And when people come, they don't go, wow, this guy's got a theology degree, which I love. Yeah, I, I want to do that. But they come and they go, this guy's been with Jesus. That's what we've got to look like. That's what we've got to be like. And it's, it, it, if I'm honest, I'm sometimes challenged because I'm like, I've gone through all the New Frontiers programs. But like, sometimes I go, man, are we, are, we, are we men and women that really are fighting our own battles? Are we really those um, encountering Jesus in spirit and truth? Are we really those in the hidden place? Like, are we really those who have a zeal and just a hunger to see God move? Is there this brokenness? Is there this preparedness in us to go, do you know what? I'm going to sell everything. I'm just going to quit my job and I'm going to start to do door knocking. Now, that's not, I'm not saying you have to do that, but it's just the zeal in me. There's like this question in me going, guys, where's our hunger for God? We must be those who are men and women that spend time with Jesus. 
some of you, I think, as well, it's just the question of, are you stepping up into leadership? Like, are you seeking God for yourself, or are you hiding a little bit? You can, you can be a very effective person for God. You can be a good man and woman, but you're, you know deep down God's put more in you, and you're slightly hiding. Perhaps God's calling some of you to step out of the shadows today. So, anyway, these guys go to Antioch, they start reaching new people, and they start seeing a gospel harvest. Okay? Now, how does this apply to us? How does this apply to you? Okay? I just want to share a little bit for us about where we're at our journey, because um, I think it would be helpful. I'm not saying we've got it right. I think you can hear that loud and clear. It, it, sometimes I wonder what we're doing. Okay? If I'm really honest, like we're, we're, we're trying to trust God, we're trying to lean on Him, we're trying to grow. Uh, we're trying to be faithful, and sometimes you go. Sometimes you think that was incredible, and sometimes you think, "What was that about?" Uh, just very practically, what we've done is um, we just were aware that, like my forty-minute exegesis in Hebrews, with a forty-minute preamble of a long period of worship, and we might give you a cup of tea if you survive to the end, wasn't going to work in that neighbourhood where actually the school on the corner, not one kid is above the average level of reading, not one. They're either average or below. You go, this isn't going to work in this context. We have to be flexible. And so we changed our model. So our Sunday morning now is like a, is a mixed age thing. Okay? So we have about an, we high emphasis on food and drink, tea and coffee and cake. And then we have an hour together and then we end with more tea and coffee and cake. And then our evening is where we try and really feed the flock. And we've separated. We've basically unapologetically gone. The morning is really for mission and for family discipleship. As in family, big family, like when you see a 70-year-old sat with a six-year-old growing together. And in the evening is where we're trying to feed the flock. And we're giving our 30-minute messages and our prolonged time of worship. But what I always challenge people of is I think it would often do you more good to sit with a non-believer in the morning meeting than just come and hear another sermon in the evening meeting. I think you might grow more. But anyway, that's precisely the point. That's, our, that's kind of our, our working model. And we've changed our, in, the, in the morning. That means our kids are in. Like in a typical Sunday, okay, there's maybe... It's Sunday morning, there's maybe 30 or 40 under 16s in the room. It's a hard work room, yeah? It's like, have some grace on me when I'm trying to put that. Like, you guys are easy, yeah? Try, try and speak for 10 minutes to a room where you've got 35, 40 under 16s at the same time in there. It's interesting, okay? And it can be brilliant and it can be challenging. We put a massive emphasis on story and testimony. Every week we, we encourage someone to share a bit of their story. And sometimes there's not a dry eye in the house. There's people just honestly said, you know what, this was a mess, but I'm seeing God's grace in it. There's been moments of like beautiful vulnerability as we put such an emphasis on testimony and storytelling. Um, and we've moved some of our kids and our other stuff to midweek. So our um, Friday nights, kids clubs, youth clubs, um, intentional discipleship for our young people is happening at another time, okay? which means as a New Frontiers church, we're not doing a kids' work when you come on a Sunday, which can be shocking. Yeah, so people can. The only people we shock are established Christians. Yeah, you, you notice non Christians don't give a monkey's what you do. Yeah, they actually feel very comfortable walking in, and actually, if things are a bit more relaxed, what we're learning a year and a half in is they, that seems to help them stay. Actually, the things that we thought might be a barrier don't seem to be such a barrier for our. This is our context, I'm not saying it's yours. I just want to share some of our journey because I think it helps you know, like, we are living with this. I'm not just like. Spouting, this is like deeply convicting us and how we build church. And it's hard, yeah, because sometimes a family walk in and I kind of go to Esther, they're not going to come back. <laughs> and that's hard, but then sometimes the lady from the corner shop comes in who I invited and she comes and feels at home and she stays. 
and she brings her partner along, who doesn't yet know Jesus, and he stays. And somehow they seem comfortable in a way that they wouldn't have been in our old model. And when that happens, that makes it worthwhile. That makes us go, we're going to keep going for this. We sense God is in it. So that's how we are work, outworking new people, new practices, new methods, new leaders. All right? The question is for you guys. I, I, don't, I think you know this. Who's God's calling you to reach? You know, what models is he calling you to? What in your models are barriers to actually you seeing your local community transform with the gospel? You know your demographics. You know your town. You know your city. You know your people. What in your meetings is just cultural Christianity, which is great for the, the, the Christians, but is really off-putting for those not in your context. How are you going to reach your town? Uh, thirdly, then. So, you all right? Yeah, you all still with me? Yeah. Thanks, guys. I thought you were going to heckle me. There you go. Um, so, thirdly, God uses world events to bring about new fruits. New fruits. So, I love this. Verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all the more to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Okay, these guys are unbelievably fruitful. That's, that's the bottom line. Uh, these guys turn up in Antioch. God starts moving. They think we better send in the big guns. So like Barnabas comes along, checks out what they're doing. He says, this is amazing. God's here. God's moving. And it carries on growing. But it is a bit messy. It's organic, it's lively, it's messy, it's full of risk. Things start organically happening. And that's, it's an adventure. And it's fruitful. And that, to be honest, that is where we feel like we are at as a church right now. It feels organic, it feels a bit messy, it feels lively. Like our prayer is we're now praying for the next one of these Sunday morning locations because it's full and we're going, God, where are you? And we feel God's calling us to another really deprived area, which is hard because, again, I was thinking, the next one, let's go middle class. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to be the leading light. And so we're just trying to follow God and we're kind of going, trying to push doors. And we're going, God, is this building opening up? And, and it feels messy, it feels organic, but it also feels fruitful. Now, I want to invite someone else because you guys are listening so well to me and um, just someone else might be more interested than me for a moment so you can hear from one of our guys and hear their experience and a little bit of their story and some of their kind of testimony of what God's up to with us at the moment so can we give Stacey a round of applause I I asked her to do this about three hours ago (laughs) (laughs) which is model to our messy church Um, so Pete just asked me to share five stories of the fruit that we've seen of the new fruit from the model, the fruit from the new model. Um, so we've not got it all right. Um, it's not in the bag, but um, through, so we have family shared leadership in the morning. So the Sunday just gone, we had a 15 year old boy leading our meeting with his family. His mum preached, he was hosting, um, and mistakes happen on mornings like that. And it's been, so I've got three children and my children are seeing through that that it's okay to make mistakes and that leaders make mistakes and that we're not to put leaders on a pedestal because we're all open to lead. Um, So that's been really, really helpful. 
Um, and just then we're just able to keep saying to our young people, when we're weak, he is strong. Um, so that's been really helpful. And then there's just multiple leaders throughout the church, unqualified people, but people that love Jesus. Everybody's welcome to come and lead. I mean, it's not like everybody can get up and lead, obviously that's down to Pete. Um, but everybody has a place to experiment in their leadership um, because their voice matters. And this is for the kids. We're always saying to the kids, your voice matters, your faith is valid. Um, so we're encouraging the children to be involved in the morning. So they're doing artworks at the front. It's and in allowing the children to come up and share things. My son, who's nine years old, um, is developing prophetic gifts of drawing and and we've got kids coming up who are memorising scriptures and the kids are really, really part of the service in the morning. Um, so we've got a group of young people, as young as four, who are memorising the psalms and coming up and sharing those psalms, just organically, not like, oh, can you come and share? Um, and they're celebrating for their voice and for their faith. Um, my daughter loves to sing. And at the end of lockdown, she was like buzzing to go back to school so she wrote a song praising God um, and she shared that with some key leaders in the church um, her, her song was about how she's not afraid of the dark when Jesus is with her um, that he's always got her best interests at heart it was just really simple good truth and she shared that with some key leaders and they invested time into her they put that to music they invited her to join the worship team and she now leads in worship with other leaders and um, so she's sing we're singing young people songs we've got uh, youth who are writing songs and performing songs to god to the congregation and um, learning keyboard for themselves so they really really feel a part of our mornings um yeah i think it's just about letting them know that they're warranted warranted members of the church and that they are actually our future if we don't invest in our young people our church is going to die. Um, and so we have a TOTS group on a Wednesday morning. Um, so we started that as soon as COVID restrictions lifted, like a couple of weeks after. I just had a baby myself, and I was just desperate um, for that sort of fellowship. And for some of the mums, dads, and grandparents, it's just become a key part of their life. But from that, so we have um, really inspirationally called camp, called church camp. In the summer, and we've had three families come to church camp with us who aren't part of the church but just see through tots that they are loved and they are welcome to be with us. So they've come and spent a week with us at camp. Um, we've had two of those ladies do Alpha, one of them's given their life to Jesus just from coming and just being with us with their babies in the mornings. Uh, so our kids and youth model has also changed, as Pete was saying. And I think one of my highlights in youth has been um, a boy coming through the door, stopping straight up to me and he said, um, I've got ADHD and I'm gay. Am I welcome here? Like, yep, come in, you're so welcome. And now he's bringing eight of his non-church friends to us every single Friday. And that can sometimes be messy. There's lots of gender issues and all things like that. So we've now made our Fridays just outreach and then these home discipleship groups for the youth have been born from that, which are midweek 
and that's for them to be fed, and then we're just teaching them to love these non-churched um, kids aside of them. So that's just some of our messy fruit that we've seen. Just to, that's brilliant, thank you, Stace. Just to like, I, if you know me well, I'm like the most theologically conservative and I like to blend in and do things like the way everyone else does them. So like, we really feel like God's cool on this. Like, we just, we just sense that um, God's just challenged us and it wasn't like we tried to be, I try and be unradical. I'm not, right. <laughs> I try hard. Yeah, but God's just been on us and going, no, you're to do something different. Like, you're just to push the boundaries and go, and we hold fast on doctrine. Like, there's no watering down if we believe in spiritual authority, we believe in praying in elders, we're working towards a leadership structure. Where, but actually, it's going, all the other stuff you hold so tightly to, just, just take the lid off. And the reality is, what we're seeing is, when we've, when we've started aiming Sundays at non-believers, we see them better. When we started aiming like, all our programs, we're not struggling to see people. There's a massive need out there. And do you know who we're really aiming at is working class people. It's people with challenges, and they flood it. The challenge is actually how on earth do we meet the needs of these people? Because they come in, and these guys every week at youth group have now got eight kids who are all saying, who've all got gender issues, all got, and suddenly then you've got the Christian kids going, and you've got parents going, oh, I don't want my kid mixing with that. Like, there's challenge because it's messy and it's hard. But you know what the challenge isn't? The challenge isn't actually reaching people with the gospel. Like every, It's not really a week goes by where we don't share the gospel with people in our meetings. I know it's cool to go out, but in our wine schools and in our meetings. That's been our experience. So, can I just have a moment of vulnerability, I guess, just to be honest with you guys. I think the biggest obstacles for me, personally, and for us as a church, because the church is growing. The church is actually doing really well. And that's not because I think that's in spite of me. You know, God's just gracious. The church is growing. We are slowly, we're not seeing revival. We're slowly seeing people encountering the gospel. We're slowly seeing young people raised up. We're slowly seeing, we've still got the young people disconnected, but we've got others that are fully involved, leading the worship teams, leading the tech teams on everything, at the heart of everything we do. The biggest challenge, I think, for us personally, has been my own fear and my own pride. Honestly. The biggest challenge with this model is that, like, it's, it, it doesn't, I kind of deep down, and I don't know if any other leaders would admit this, like, I kind of want to be a success story, and I want lots of people to listen to me, and I want to do a really big church thing. And that's just horrible and ugly and proud and hypocritical, but I have to be honest, that has that often been the battle within me for what, that's the only thing stopping me changing church. We're not changing our beliefs, we're not changing orthodoxy, we're not changing, we're holding tight. The only thing that gets in the way is my ego, at times. And the other thing, and I think this is really, really key for our moment, is being overly pragmatic about money. I want to be specific, because we are facing, as you know, a financial crisis. Um, now, again, church leaders, you will have to admit you have these thoughts like, where on earth, they're not going to tithe, they're on benefits, they've got nothing. Where on earth is the money going to come from for us to actually even do this? Like, maybe I'd better go and get a secular job. Like, we've got a growing team. We've just taken on Stacey Point Five as our new children families. Where's the income going to come from? And I think we can be cold and we can lose sight of the fact that God is our provider. We preach it, but do we outwork it in our church trustees and budget meeting? He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And as we've been on this journey so far, what we're seeing is actually money comes from the most unexpected places. And you know, our finances have just grown and grown and grown. Like that's like that. We're not like mega wealthy church, but it's, it's more than doubled. And you go, where's that money come from? 
And it's never more than we, we, we never <coughs> flush, yeah? We always just have what we need for the moment. And I'm convinced that God actually is who he says he is. He actually is the God that provides. Just to share one last story is, um, so I was, I was slightly worrying because we want to go for another site and I, and I didn't really know where, where we were at with, with finances. And I was just, we were just praying, we were seeking God and we wanted to take on a youth, children and families worker, which we have done. And we were praying about another location for a Sunday morning. And this lady came up to me one Sunday who's uh, the first person we saw saved in the church. And powerfully saved, this, this, this lady who's in her 60s, lives on her own. She is on job seeking allowance for various reasons. And she doesn't heat her flat in the winter because it's too expensive. She spends all her money baking cakes for the entire church. Like, we did her shopping for her in lockdown. It was like flour, eggs, cake materials, like I have to add in some other things to make sure she actually has some nutrition in her diet. Just, she gave everything she got in away. And she came up to me and she had had a rebate of an X amount of money. And she said, Pete, I want to give a thousand pounds to the church. And I just, it hit me and the other elder in our church. I just said to him, just so you know, and I didn't want to take it. I said, I don't want to take this money off you because you've got nothing. She said, no, I want to give, just basically everything she got given. So I want to give this thousand pounds to church. Now we felt that that was our seed fund for our next location. So we're going. She was the first gospel fruit we saw in this location, and actually that's going to be our seed fund for the next location. God provides in the most unlikely ways, and I think as leaders we need to be prepared to be bold and to, to actually we preach, don't we? Test me in this, says the Lord. But do we really live by that in our budgeting? Because a little bit, if I'm really honest, a little bit, my heart has died sometimes. I was speaking to a, a, a church pastor not in commission I hasten to add who I highly respect but he was saying to me I, I, we feel called to these things but we don't have the right and there's just something in there so, so what you're saying is God's called you but he doesn't provide like either you need to pray and seek God and ask him to provide or you need to go back and say God have you really called us to this but one thing I'm sure of God's not a liar and he will provide for what he's called us to do so if you're in that position where you go man we've got to cut back like what's God calling us to do because actually, God, we can't do all the things that I might think are good ideas, but we can do what God's called us to do. And so I just think coming into this next season as churches, we've got to trim the fat. We've got to be prepared to cut things that are not spirit-led and of him, even good things, and do what he has called us to. Guys, I'm, I'm going to um, finish there. So let me, let me just, I, I'd love to pray if that's okay. Um, Recently, my, my oldest son, he's just turned 11, he's just started secondary school. It's like a new world, isn't it? When you, and he came back from his philosophy lesson and he said, um, he said to me, um, I've been asked to ask two adults what their key value is, one of their key values to live by in life. Can you, can you give me a value? I thought, okay, it's like second week of secondary school. I don't want to say, like, love Jesus with all your heart. That's probably not a helpful start for him in secondary school life. But how can I give him something that's actually meaningful? And I, I, I said to him, have the courage of your convictions. And two, what I loved about this, a proud dad moment okay, for it, that he wrote in his, in his philosophy homework book, have the courage of your convictions. For example, if you're a Christian on a Sunday, you need to be a Christian all the week. Like, oh, my son's got more boldness than I do. Like, it was one of those moments. But I just feel like, if anything in that, if you go and chuck out what's not useful, I'm just, I'm just sharing a bit of our heart with you guys. And if you go, and, if there's a bit of conviction in you, and so not like conviction, but you guys, you know what, there's a conviction in that. But I've kind of compromised on this. So we as a church, we are called to actually push the boat out a bit in this. Or maybe we're called to do something a bit different. Maybe we're called to actually, maybe it doesn't need to be quite as polished as we thought it did. 
on this, if you just know that there's a conviction in you, I'd love you just to stand, and I'd love to pray with you if that's right. So, just stand if that's you, um, and I'd love to pray, and then maybe we can gather around these guys in, in a moment and pray, because we're a group of believers together on Thank <laughs> you. 